0: It is a blessing to hear babies during prayer. It is a blessing to hear uh, those little feet running to the back uh, when the elementary class is dismissed. Amen? It is a, a tremendous, uh, tremendous blessing. And to hear their excitement uh, to go to go to class. And we want to a- encourage that and rejoice uh, in that. But uh, something you may not have uh, thought of this morning, or maybe you already have, but... I I would ask you, why are you here today? Some of you may be here to see friends and family. Some of you may be here today because your friends and family uh, dragged you here. Some of you might be uh, struggling uh, and and you are coming this morning in, in search of help. Some of you might be here because you enjoy studying the bible you enjoy studying theology some of you are here maybe because you you really enjoy singing and that is a definitely a blessing that we got to partake of this morning some of you might be here because uh, you, you want the blessings and salvation that christ offers to all who would come to him some of you may be here Because you want Christ himself. You want to to lay hold of him. And I would say each and every one of us uh, comes here on Sunday mornings uh, with a a mixture uh, of all of those motivations. Uh, And even then, that varies probably from from week to week. What are we, we most looking forward to? What gets us out of bed on a Sunday morning, on a gorgeous day like today... When you could be out doing a variety of things, what brings you here? Some of our motivations and some of the ones that I mentioned, some of those are better than others. But the final one that I mentioned, laying hold of Christ and wanting Christ himself, that needs to be our greatest motivation. Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is who we need and what we need. Yet there are, are many blessings that flow uh, out from Him, but but we can't separate the blessings that Christ offers to us from Christ Himself. Sometimes we, we do that in relationships. We want what somebody else can uh, offer to us, what they uh, give to us, but we don't want a relationship with them genuinely and truly. And when that happens, we're really using... A relationship as a, as a means to an end. That's what we have to, to realize, that Christ is not a means to an end. He's not just a, a way of reaching salvation, that, that He is both the means of salvation and the end goal of our salvation. To know Him, to be in relationship with Him. Yet as as each day and week and year uh, pass by, it's really easy to become distracted. It's easy to to become enamored with other things in this world. Amen. It's very easy. But the most important thing for each and every one of us here is for us to come to know Jesus, to to believe and trust in Him wholly and completely for our salvation, uh, and then to abide and to remain in Him forever so how do i know that how do i know that is what is most important well jesus is going to to say that here in john 15 as we we began studying john 15 last week as we've been working our way through this upper room uh discourse what we saw at the end of chapter 14 that that Jesus and the, the 11 disciples who were with him left the upper room and, and they, they got up and they began to, to walk. And we don't know exactly the, the path that they took or where they uh, stopped off or went along. They may be walking to the temple where Jesus will offer the high priestly prayer in John 17. But we know at the beginning of John 18, Jesus and his disciples are going to be outside of the city. They're going to be across uh, to the, the eastern side on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. So in this setting, what we have is more than likely Jesus walking along with his disciples and teaching and instructing them. And and you can imagine this was their life for upwards of three and a half years. They they would walk up and down throughout the, the land of Israel with Jesus and he would be constantly instructing them. But what's unique about this nighttime walk with the disciples is this is the last one. This is the the, the final pre-crucifixion walk of Jesus with his eleven. Eleven who are going to be faithful. And so you you have to, to think through what is the most important thing? What is he going to want to impress upon their hearts and minds on this final instructive walk with him? Jesus knows exactly where he's going. He knows exactly what is going to happen. So he's going to emphasize what is most important and what is truly on his heart and what he wants the disciples to know and to embrace. And verses 1 through 8 in John chapter 15, Jesus is going to be instructing the, the disciples concerning how they are to relate to him. He's, as he's already warned them and told them that he's going to be departing. But he's going to say this is how they need to relate to him in verses 9 to 17. He's going to, to lay out how they need to relate to one another. And then verses 18 through 16 four, He's going to lay out how they need to relate to the world around them. Uh, and uh, in this uh, first eight verses, when Jesus is instructing them concerning how they are to relate to him, there's one specific command that's going to be, uh, dominate the, the whole focus of how they are to relate to him. And that command is going to be found in verse 4. The simple command, he says, Abide in me. And in fact, the, the, the word abide is going to occur 10 times in verses 4 through 10. 10 times in 7 verses. Now that's going to be really easy to figure out what is Jesus trying to communicate here. Right? What is he trying to, to get across? What does he want the disciples to take away from this final walk with them? He wants them to abide. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 6 this morning specifically, but I want to read, beginning in verse 1, I want to read through verse 10. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Let's pause and pray. Father, we we thank you that you have recorded this conversation for our benefit, for our blessing. This instruction from your son to his disciples as they walked along. May you use it to instruct our hearts. To guide us, to exhort us, to challenge us, to redirect our hearts and affections, our minds and our thoughts. Lord, use this time of studying Your Word to draw us nearer to You and to impress upon our hearts the absolute necessity of abiding in Your Son, who lived and died and rose again on our behalf. It is in His name that we pray. Amen. So as we read through that passage, you, you see the overall impression that Jesus is is giving to his disciples. He's going to be calling them to, to abide and to remain in him. As they have begun in him, they are to continue in him. Uh, and and he's he's in essence persuading them of the importance of this one simple command this one clarion call to abide in him there there is an importance to that command over and above many many other commands and as modern disciples of jesus you and i we receive that same exhortation uh, and uh, we need to to see and to understand this priority Uh, the priority that, that jesus gives to abiding in him we need to understand it what makes that command and our obedience to it so important. Well, why is that command so significant that Jesus would emphasize this ten times in seven verses on his final walk with the disciples? Well, I think as, as we read through verses three through six, we can pick up five clues along the way. What makes this command so significant? Why does it matter so much that we would abide in Christ? The first clue that we have is seen in in verse 3, that abiding in Christ is going to build upon our salvation. And verse 3, Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And so Jesus begins by giving some encouragement to the disciples and and he's building upon what he said in verse 2. Uh, That that the father is uh, this divine uh, vine dresser who is uh, cleaning the idea of of pruning uh, and making the the branches within the vine that are connected to Jesus, the true vine. The the father is there cleansing and making those branches more fruitful and productive. Uh, And Jesus is using a a play on words here because the same word that means to clean or prune uh, also means to to cleanse uh, and the idea was back in, at the beginning of the, this scene that they uh, are departing from, from the upper room, that began with Jesus humbling himself and washing the feet of the disciples. He did what none of them were willing to do. But, but they are not uh, clean because of what Jesus did in the upper room. right? He had a, a picture of what uh, he was going to do with them. But why are they clean according to verse 3? That they have been made clean because of the word. They have been made clean because of the word that Christ has given to them. They have been made clean because they have heard and believed the word of Christ. And this this is the entry point to salvation. This is how the relationship with Jesus begins. That you hear who he is and what he is saying about us. That we are sinners in desperate need of reconciliation with God, and our only hope is to be found in Him. John has laid this out repeatedly in uh, his account of the life of Christ, even going back to the very beginning of this Gospel, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Faith in Christ who he is and what he has done. Trusting in his word is the, the entry point that brings us into relationship with Christ. But later on uh, in uh, this uh, gospel, we mentioned John chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer. John seventeen three, Jesus defines what eternal life consists of. He says, this is eternal life that they know you, speaking of God the Father, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, knowing and believing in Christ, that is that is the entry point. Uh, And and abiding in Christ is going to to build upon that entry point. You have to get the order uh, correct here. Uh, You have to be washed by the word and then you can abide. If if you're going to go and and uh, purchase a new home, if you're going to set up your home and move in and live there, you first have to enter through the door. It seems common sense and really, really obvious, but oftentimes we move past this reality. And Jesus emphasizes it here, that they are able to abide because they have already believed. You can't obey the command of verse 4 unless verse 3 is true for you. You you cannot abide until you have belief. And so that that just uh, presents us all with a question. Have I believed the good news about Jesus? Have I trusted in him alone that he lived and died and rose again to pay the penalty for sin? And if I look to him in faith, I can be forgiven. I can be reconciled with God and have a relationship with God. And as we saw in John 14, that the triune God, Father, Son, Spirit comes and dwells within the believer. And that That is how I have a relationship with God. And that's how I am in Christ. And unless you first believe and who jesus is and what he did there's no possibility of abiding and remaining in him Again, i know this is very basic and and obvious but sometimes it's it's the obvious things that we speed right past and jesus emphasized it with his own disciples so how much more should we recognize it and contemplate it and and think about it have i been washed am i clean in that same way because i have trusted wholly and completely in the word of christ then there's a a second clue as to the the priority and the importance of this command and and the the reality of abiding in christ and this is seen in the very beginning of verse four where, where jesus issues the command what we're going to see is that abiding in christ in essence summarizes the entire life of faith of what we're being called to jesus says abide in me and i in you and the 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 grammar here is a little bit confusing because we could interpret this in in one of several different ways. It might be a comparison. Jesus is saying, uh, abide in me. There's a a command, but do that in the same way that he abides in us. And that's what he has laid out at the end of John 14. Or this could be a a, a command followed by a promise. Abide in me and then I will abide in you. Or it could be a a double command. Uh, Abide in me and see to it that I abide in you. But either way, how you kind of slice that up grammatically, I think the third is more likely, but all of them have, really have the same implications. Uh, and there is a an inseparable reality that if we are in Christ, Christ is going to be in us. Uh, and Christ being in us means that we are now commanded to abide in and to remain in Him. But what does it really mean to abide? It refers to someone who who does not leave a certain realm or sphere. 2 Timothy 3.14, Paul's going to challenge and command Timothy to to continue in, there's our word, to to remain in the things that he has learned. So, Timothy, what you have been placed in, the, the doctrine and the teaching that I've placed you in, that your grandmother and mother taught you and instructed you in, don't depart from that sphere. Don't wander from there. To abide has the idea of living or dwelling somewhere for a period of time. If you look back at the beginning of chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And the idea when he says uh, I go to prepare a, a place is the idea of I'm going to prepare a, a place of abiding. So there's our same uh, Greek word there. The, the idea of a, a dwelling. The same Greek word is going to be said in chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and he will come to him and, and make our home with him. And so the ESV is really capturing that idea of, of a dwelling place. And again, it's the same Greek word, to abide, to remain, to make your home and, and you begin to, to see what, what Christ is calling his disciples to. Also, the idea is that there is an an endurance. There is a a forever time period to this abiding and remaining. The same word is used in 1 Peter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. That is through the living and enduring. There's our word. Word of God. And then verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was proclaimed to you as good news. What what Christ is calling the disciples to is, in essence, to to abide and to remain in him, to set up their abode, their home, with him. I love what one uh, pastor says. He says, here in John's Gospel, the idea is of an inward, enduring, personal communion with Christ. They are to, to hold on to who Jesus is and what he has taught them the idea of uh, holding on loyally to the decision once you make it, uh, and to hold on to it continually by going through it again, right? When when you forget to abide in Christ, what are you to do? Just let go and abandon it completely? Abandon him completely? Say, oh, I don't need to hold on. As soon as I I realize I forget, I'm I'm to remember it and to make that commitment again to, to pursue and to abide in Christ. This is, this is a, a wonderful summary of what the, the entire Christian life is to consist of and, and to be. That uh, We are to live in Christ, uh, to set up our, our home with him there. And, and once we have believed, we don't depart from him. We are to uh, remain with him. You know, Think of the, the idea of uh, we are to abandon our old house. Right When you move to your new house, sometimes it's fun to drive past the old house, right? Uh, but you don't go in and start to live in that old house again. No, you, you live in that new house. And if you really look at uh, the, the scriptures and you understand our old house, our old sinful self with all of our old habits, all of our old fleshly desires, I'm in essence t- to burn that house down. I'm not to, to go back to that house and, and dwell there. Why would I want to go back and live there when I'm called to live in Christ? I'm to go, call, to go and to abide and remain in him forever. That sounds radical to, to some extent, right? Burn down, abandon the old house. Well, maybe you want to keep it up. What if you want to go back? That's why. That's why you burn it down. That's why you abandon it. Love what Jesus says in Matthew 10. says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. That's what Christ is calling us to in this call to abide in him. That we are to forsake our old life and come and set up Uh, A new life in him and to reside in him and with him forever. Ray Stedman writes this uh, concerning this passage. He says, when our Lord says, abide in me, he is talking about the will, about the choices, the decisions we make, that we must decide to do things which expose ourselves to him and keep ourselves in contact with him. This is what it means to abide in him. We have been placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit. And now we must choose to maintain that relationship by the decisions we make. Decisions to expose ourselves to his word in order to learn about him and to relate to him in prayer. Wherein we converse with him. Decisions to relate to other believers in body life experiences. That is bearing one another's burdens and confessing our faults and sharing in fellowship with one another wherein we learn about and see christ in one another all of this is designed to relate to him abide in me if we do that we are fulfilling this active necessary decision of the will to obey his word to do what he says and to stay in touch with him now i love that Uh, abiding in christ focuses in first and foremost on what our will Are we willing to decide and to actively choose day in and day out to obey Christ, to walk in him, to walk with and among his people? With all of the the temptations and all of the pulls from the world around us, are we committed to staying in the house of Christ, to dwelling there with him? Are you willing to obey this command of Jesus? To abandon the old home and to abide permanently, to live permanently with him. Uh, are, are you willing to pursue that inward, enduring personal communion with Christ? Do you want that? Again, this is, this is the essence of the Christian life. To know, to love, and to follow Jesus. All of that means to abide in him. Are you willing to do that? Uh, and, and so this, this second clue that we, that we see here... That this should be more than enough to convince us. This is a summary of the entire Christian life. This is why this command is so important. But there's even more clues. A third clue that we see at the end of verse 4, that abiding in Christ enables all spiritual growth. So at the beginning of the verse, Jesus issues the command, Abide in me and I in you. Then he uses this illustration, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus is going to pick up that illustration that he gave and presented to us in the I am statement of verse 1. And now he's going to to relate uh, things uh, concerning uh, what uh, we are called to do in relationship to him. And he's going to use the illustration of a branch not being able to sustain itself. It has no life in and of itself. The only way a branch has life is if it's connected to the vine. And so what we are to, to see and understand that being connected to Jesus is what enables any and all spiritual growth in our lives, right? If you want spiritual fruit, it's going to be another theme within these verses. If you want spiritual fruit, then you, know, you have to be connected to the vine. You have to be connected to Jesus. Now, and, and apart from Christ... Trying to do things on your own. Okay, and it's like uh, a branch trying to, to grow on its own. You can put it another way. It's, it's like trying to uh, to drive uh, on full speed on ice in and of your own strength. Right When uh, when we first moved up here, we had Snow uh, Snowmageddon. And uh, Bruce and I didn't have much to do as we're trying to meet people and... and uh, share the gospel, and we, we got to meet all of our neighbors kind of up and down the street. We got to shovel a lot of driveways, and uh, there was a neighbor across the street that had a, a daycare center, and she had this one parent uh, who would uh, come with a, a rear-wheel drive sports car, uh, and he did the same thing multiple times, and Bruce and I kind of got tired of going out and helping, but uh, he would try to enter into this lady's driveway, which was covered in ice because she had a, a north-facing driveway. So he'd come in his sports car and try to drive up uh, and he would get stuck in the exact same spot <laughs> multiple, multiple times. Uh, and so he would be there and he's like halfway uh, into the driveway or kind of straddling the, the the sidewalk. And then he would get to that point and then his wheels would just be just spinning, no traction whatsoever. And so we'd, we'd go out and one time uh, Bruce and I were there behind the car and pushing and he had put the the floor mats from inside of the car underneath to try to gain traction. It's a little uh, helpful thing. Uh, and um, I'm behind the car, pushing right, right behind the wheel with the floor mat there. And then I move to the side. I'm like, I don't know if I should be right there. And just as I do that, the floor mat I gains traction and the car moves forward, but the floor mat comes shooting out the back and clips me in the leg. So uh, all of that to say, oftentimes when we are doing things in our own strength, in our own wisdom and not truly abiding in Christ, we're just, our, our wheels are, are spinning and we're not going anywhere, right? We're trying really hard when you when your wheels are spinning, what are you doing on the gas? You're, you're, you're flooring. You're like, I got to gain something. And then you get discouraged because you're trying so hard and you're not going anywhere. But I say in the Christian life. That means something that that is indicative of. That in that moment, maybe in a, in a very broad, general way, you are not connected to Christ. Or maybe in a specific way, in a smaller area. You're not obeying Christ here. Uh, and you're not submitting to His Word and His wisdom. You're obeying in these areas, but not right here where it matters most. And, and the, the area where you keep struggling, you're not abiding. This is what we have to see and understand that Christ is the one who enables us to get any traction in the spiritual life. Apart from him, our wheels are spinning. We're not going anywhere. But abiding in Christ enables us to bear fruit. And, and that concept is going to, to come up multiple times. Right? A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. And so there's this, this picture of a, a branch and a disciple. Uh, and we know what fruit on a vine looks like and consists of. But what does it look like for a a Christian to bear spiritual fruit in our lives? I think I think some of that is is given to us here. Here in the Upper Room discourse, I think spiritual fruit begins by obeying Christ. John chapter fourteen verse fifteen. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will. Keep my commandments. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Spiritual fruit begins uh, and is characterized by an obedience to Christ. But it's also going to be uh, demonstrated and characterized, uh, first, in obedience to Christ, but secondly, by becoming like Christ. That if you are connected to the vine, you're going to become like the vine. That bearing spiritual fruit means that you're going to become more and more like Christ as time goes on. That's his, his attitudes become your attitudes. Right? And when Jesus is going to be in, in the garden, this isn't recorded in, in John's Gospel. Well, what is his prayer? Lord, take this cup from me. But does he end there? What does he say? But your will be done. See, Jesus lived his entire earthly life submitting to the will of God. Right? And as we grow in Christ-likeness, we, we gradually loosen our grip and our desire to control our own lives. And we submit more and more to, God, what is your desire? What are you wanting from me in this situation? How can I live for your glory? And these trying and difficult circumstances... How do I submit to what you're calling me to do and glorify you? Becoming like Christ means his attitudes become our attitudes. And as we become more and more like Christ, the spirit is going to become the one who, who leads us and guides us more and more. Right? The attitudes of Christ are going to be seen and described in the fruit of the spirit in Galatians. If you're going to become more and more like Jesus, you're going to be producing the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control that's what its bearing fruit is going to look like his attitudes become your attitudes his affections become your affections do you do you love god now, is that your primary controlling desire and that's what dominated christ throughout his earthly life a love for the father we're becoming more like him his affections will become your affections and then third his actions will become your actions that you will begin to love others more out of a love for god you also love others you have compassion and patience with others also if you're going to become more and more like christ you're going to have a, a growing hatred and animosity towards sin now as you are you are going to be radically amputating it from your life Casting it far from you. Fleeing from temptation. Standing firm when you need to stand firm. That you are going to become more and more like your Savior. So bearing spiritual fruit in the Christian life means obeying Christ, becoming like Christ. And then I would also say, third thing, that you're going to be leading others to Christ. You're going to be drawing others to Christ because you are proclaiming. You're talking about who Jesus is and what he has done in your life. You can't wait to tell others. That's what we see. in uh, Once the once the Spirit came upon the disciples in, in Acts 2, what, what is it that the disciples would not ever stop doing from that point forward in their lives? They wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. Everywhere they went. We talked about uh, Acts 17 and Paul in Athens on Easter Sunday, right? His Spirit is provoked within him, and he's like, I can't not talk. With these philosophers about jesus i have to go and tell them and and that's that that realm of if we're becoming more and more like christ and bearing fruit also means that we're going to be pouring into and proclaiming christ to others that's going to be a part of what it looks like to bear fruit in the christian life obeying christ becoming like christ leading others to christ and it's our abiding in jesus that makes any and all of that possible We're not going to be able to do any of it apart from him. Then there's a another clue, a fourth clue in verse five concerning the importance of this command and this reality. In verse five, we see that abiding in Christ guarantees some spiritual fruit. There's a little bit of a distinction here. Verse four emphasizes that abiding in Christ uh, is going to enable spiritual fruit to take place. But verse 5 is going to show us that it's a guarantee that there will be some fruit if you are connected to the true vine. Verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're abiding in Christ, there will be spiritual growth Uh, in We're all going to grow at at different speeds and in different ways. But if we are connected to Jesus, there will be some growth. There will be some fruit visible and produced in our lives. We'll be, uh, again, obeying Christ, becoming like him, and leading others to him. That will be evident in our lives. And being connected to Jesus guarantees that something along those lines will happen. But then Jesus takes that same truth at the end of the verse and he states it negatively to bring another reality to our attention. At the end of the verse, he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. So being connected to Jesus guarantees that there will be fruit. Having no connection to Jesus guarantees what? (laughs) Yeah, guarantees that there will be no fruit. It's an either or proposition. You're either connected to him or you're not. And if you're connected, there'll be fruit. And if you're not connected, there'll be no fruit. You can't do anything apart from Christ. And there's a a double negative there in the Greek. Not to, to cancel out, but to add an extra emphasis. Apart from Jesus, he says, you are not able to do nothing. And so the absence of fruit in the life of somebody who claims to be a believer, that is significant. And that means something. And so does the presence of fruit. Suddenly, now visible fruit, obeying Christ, becoming like Him, having our affections transformed and being heavenly minded, loving and caring for others, submitting to God's will rather than always demanding our will, proclaiming Christ to others. These things uh, become an assurance to us, they don't earn us our salvation. They contribute absolutely nothing to our salvation. But a transformed life becomes the greatest assurance for the believer. Because it shows that we are connected to the true vine. Your union with Christ, you in him and him in you, guarantees that you will produce spiritual fruit to some degree. At at the end of the the parable of the soils in, in Mark 4, Jesus says, concerning that, that final soil. He says, those are the ones which are sown on the good soil who hear the word and accept it. That's what we saw in verse 3. you got to hear and accept. You've got to hear the word of Christ and believe it. And then there's going to be, and they're bearing fruit. And he says, 30, 60, and 100 full. So are we all going to bear the same amount of fruit? No. But are we all going to bear fruit if we are in Christ? Yes. Being connected to Jesus guarantees that. Notice Jesus doesn't, Guarantee that abiding in him means that we're going to be perfect or sinless. I wish that were so. That's in in the next life to come. But it does guarantee that there will be some spiritual fruit. And this is helpful because it's really easy to be discouraged in the Christian life, right? It's really easy uh, to see and focus in on all of the ways in which we need to grow, right? Anyone have kind of that running list it's overwhelmed by that list in our heads. Everywhere I look, I see my own failures. Everywhere I look, I see how much I need to to grow and how short I fall from where I should be. But this is helpful. This is encouraging because in those instances, our tendency is to to focus and be overwhelmed by the the many, many things that we need to, to grow in. And it's overwhelming. But what does Jesus call his disciples to do here? On this final walk with him, he says, make sure you do this, 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 What does he focus in on? He says, on his final walk, he says, what should they focus on? What should they do? Abide in him. In the Christian life, our goal is not to overcome one or two particular sins. Our goal in the Christian life is to do what? To abide, to dwell, to remain in Christ. And if we do that... All of the smaller stuff sorts out. Our goal has to be to love and to follow Christ and to remain in him. And this is an encouragement for every Christian seeking help and hope. Progress is promised. Growth will happen. Maybe not according to your timetable or your spouse's timetable uh, or your kid's timetable or your parents' timetable. But, But growth will happen. It is guaranteed. There will be fruit. And we have to remember verse 2. Who's who's the vine dresser working upon each of us? God the Father. He's there cultivating, cleansing, pruning, so that we're going to bear more and more fruit. But this verse is also a tremendous uh, warning to us concerning our absolute inability to produce anything of spiritual value in and of ourselves. We are incapable, not able, not able to do nothing. That's the emphasis. I must depend upon Jesus for everything and not just some things. As I was studying this week, one of the, the, the pastors I was reading, James Montgomery Boyce, he brought out another encouragement from this verse. I'm going to quote him here. This is something I hadn't, hadn't thought about because it's focused primarily upon those who would, would claim to be Christians. But Boyce writes this. He says, on the other hand, there's also an encouragement in this verse— that we realize that it may be applied to those who are yet Christ's enemies. That without Christ, we can do nothing. That is humbling. But if that is true for those who are united to Christ by faith in whom he nevertheless dwells, how much truer it is of those who are not at all united to him. They may try to do something against the gospel. They may try to destroy Christ's work, but all their efforts will come to nothing. For only the hand of of man And not that of God is in them. Amen. Yeah. The, the enemies of Christ will not, will not be successful because they are apart from him and apart from him, they can do an exact number, right? They, they can do absolutely nothing apart from him. After giving us the, these four clues concerning the importance of abiding in him, Jesus is going to give one final clue, but he's going to, he's going to state it negatively. We see this in verse 6. We see that not abiding in Christ leads to judgment. because if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So This, this verse describes, in kind of a quick staccato succession, five verbs, right? What takes place if you are not connected to the true vine? If you're not connected to Jesus. And he's using and building this illustration of what a a human gardener does when he prunes a vine. But he's using that as a picture of what God is going to do in divine judgment for all of those who are not in Christ. All of those who have rejected. And unless someone or anyone is abiding in Christ, that is their fate. They're cut off, dried, they dry up, they're gathered up, they're thrown into the fire, and they burn up. And this is, this is not a very subtle clue. This is a, a bright neon billboard concerning the importance of abiding in Christ. This is why this is of the utmost importance. And again, now remember, who is Jesus saying this to? This is a reminder to... The eleven who have walked with him everywhere, who, who were there when he was baptized and they were there uh, and they witnessed his crucifixion and his resurrection. But he's emphasizing, you remain. You continue to abide. And there's a difference between thinking I am with Jesus and actually abiding in him. It's ironic that the, the Spanish Inquisition... Who, who would search out and try to cleanse the, the Roman Catholic Church from any and all uh, heretics. And, and the, the favorite instrument of death for the Inquisition, as they would execute those people, that uh, was burning people at the stake. And do you know why that was their preferred instrument? This verse. Because they were saying and proclaiming they're doing God's work. And there's a tremendous heartbreaking irony to that, right? Because as they are claiming to be burning up branches that are not in Christ, burning up many who are actually in Christ, they themselves are showing that they are not in Christ. So simply identifying with Jesus does not at all mean that you are abiding in him and remaining in him. It's easy to say, how could people be so blinded? Right? How, could, how could the Inquisition focus that much uh, and, and just miss their own hypocrisy of putting people to death? Who is the one who executes that judgment? God. Who's the vine dresser? God. He, he's the one who does all of that, not human beings. We're not the judges. How could people be so blinded? Listen to John twelve forty six. Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Remain. There's our word. You either abide in Christ and you're in the light or you abide in the darkness. You read this verse carefully. We also begin to understand that verse 6 outlines the fate of every single human being. Because it's an unless statement. Right? Right? So unless you're in Christ, that is your fate. Fallen humanity. This this is their natural estate. This is what all of us are, are looming towards apart from Christ. John three thirty six He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God, here's our word, abides. The wrath of God abides on him. Could there be anything more important? We're talking about why is it important to abide in Christ? These verses beckon all of us to evaluate, to examine our hearts, our lives. Where do we stand? Where is our dwelling? Am I doing a, a makeshift dwelling over here trying to do my own thing? Or have I... Abandons that am i resting truly wholly, and completely in christ who he is and what he has done on my behalf and abiding in christ is of the utmost importance because as we've seen it is the essence of the christian life it enables all spiritual growth any spiritual growth at all it guarantees that there will be some spiritual growth and it is the dividing line across humanity either you are in christ and abiding in him or you're not in christ And you're going to be judged. This is why this is so important. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. That's the only thing it cannot be. If what Jesus is saying here is true, then, then our eternal destiny hangs in the balance. But if it's not true, then we can just dismiss it. But coming at it with apathy, with half-heartedness, is pure foolishness. And that's dangerous. Because approaching it with half-heartedness means that we're probably going to be what? A branch without fruit. A branch without fruit, but yet thinking we're connected to the true vine. And then when do we find out that we're not actually? At the worst possible time. At the time of judgment, we have to wrestle with this. Are you abiding in Christ, walking in obedience, growing in Christ likeness, telling others about him? And are you doing those things not to try to earn your salvation, but because you have already come to know and believe who Jesus is and what he's done? That he is the son of God slain for sinners, slain for you so that you might have a relationship with God the father. This is called, all of this is a response to what Christ has already done. May we rest in and abide in Christ. Amen.